Good morning. We're going to be in Psalm 78, as Nate just uh, let us know, so you can turn there in your Bibles and hopefully in your scripture journals. So you received one of these hopefully on the way in, and don't worry, I know it's a big thing, we're not going to cover it all today, Um, but we're going to spend some time here uh, throughout this summer and as we did last summer as a summer in the Psalms, some opportunities for us each week to take one of the Psalms that God has given us kind of dig into it, see what God has for us, and move that along each week as we go. For the summers going forward, at least for the next few summers, we'll continue to do this. So don't lose your scripture journal. Keep it with you. Bring it with you. Bring a pen, maybe a highlighter. One of the great things about these, and I've used these in other uh, series that I've preached through, is it's a great place to keep notes of what God's showing you. If you're in the habit, or even if you're not in the habit, it's a great time to start being in the habit of doing some underlining, some highlighting, and some in-depth kind of look into what God is showing you from Scripture, what we're studying together, what we're learning together, and then be able to go back and look at it again. So I'd encourage you, keep this with you, bring it each week, spend some time in it while we're not together all in the same room throughout your week, and we'll continue to learn and see what God has for us as we go forward. Psalm 78. Before we dig in too much, I want to thank Pastor Mike for bringing the word to us last week. Uh, it was a wonderful sermon uh, that reminds us of the unbelievable breadth of God's control in our world and all of the things that he has fulfilled throughout history. It's amazing to stop and look at it. You, you'll notice that if you were with us last week or watched us online, that number that we spread across the front. I'm not going to try to say it because I've tried and it doesn't work. But it's a big number. And uh, Pastor Mike did a great job pronouncing it last week. But it's just a, a visual reminder of the incredible intricacies of God's sovereignty. There is not a single thing that happens that is outside of his understanding. There's not a single thing that happens that is outside of his provision either. And we spent the last four weeks talking about Christ fulfilling and Christ fulfilling all things, both from God's word, from history, from the Old Testament, the law, and also fulfilling all of his promises to us. I hope that that time as we walked our way through was an encouragement to you. And as we look at Psalms, particularly Psalm 78 today, I hope that this is also a reminder of God's promises and God's fulfillments as we look through him. It's Father's Day, and, and I want to wish everybody, all the fathers out there, a happy Father's Day. And particularly as we uh, look to God being our Heavenly Father. He is the one that fulfills all of what we're looking for. Your view of your earthly father is largely shaped by your view of your Heavenly Father. And what I mean by that is how you view your earthly father, whether it's a father that loved Jesus or didn't, whether it's a father who was present or not, whether, but all of the ways that we view our earthly fathers are influenced by how we view our Heavenly Father. If you had a great dad who invested in you spiritually and raised you to love Jesus, then that is largely how you see that earthly father is a reflection of God in your life. If you didn't, and some of you may say, Father's Day is not a wonderful occasion for me. Maybe your upbringing was difficult. Maybe your dad wasn't present. Still, how you view that relationship in this earthly world is hugely affected 
by how you understand God being your heavenly father. We're going to look more into that today from Psalm 78 and look at how your view of your earthly father is largely shaped by your view of your heavenly father and also the opposite is true. Your view of your heavenly father is largely shaped by your view of your earthly father. And what God wants us to know is that in his word and throughout all of history and throughout his character being revealed to us, he has shown us what a perfect father looks like. There are no perfect heavenly fathers. Whether you've had a great dad or not, I have a wonderful relationship with my dad, but he is not perfect. But our heavenly father is perfect in all things. And when you look at a day like Father's Day, I hope that you get to celebrate your earthly father. You get to be grateful and thankful for that. I also hope that you understand that God is the perfect heavenly father. And as we look at his word today, I pray that that's what comes out for us as both an encouragement and also for men, a challenge. There's a joke, and we talked a little bit about it this morning, even with some of our staff. Mother's Day is one of the most well-attended Sundays of the year, right? Because when moms get up on Mother's Day, they would like to go to church and all sit together, right? That's like a mom's wish, okay? Father's Day has a tendency to not be so well-attended, Unfortunately, it's because many dads kind of see it as a day off. And, and not just a day off, but a day off even from here. And honestly, as dads, as men in our world, when you wake up on Sunday morning, this should be one of the places that you're intent on being. Not because there's anything magical about this building. Not at all. But because there is something unique and supernatural about being with the people of God and worshiping the God who loves and saves us. That's what makes it different. So challenge from here to next year, and I'm just going to trust that any dads that aren't here, they just are watching the live stream. So the challenge is this. Going forward, men, recruit your brothers. Not just for Father's Day. But help each other, men. Encourage each other. Even challenge each other to be in the presence of God's people continually and regularly. Because it's the only way that we know that God has called us to worship him together. And it is an unbelievable benefit to your spiritual growth and your leadership in the world. Quote I've heard, I've heard it from a couple different people. I'm not sure where it originated, but it's this. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. D.L. Moody says this. A man ought to live so that everyone knows he is a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. A man ought to live so that everybody he knows, everybody knows that he is a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. As we look at God's word today, we are not going to cover all of Psalm 78. So your fear and trepidation as you opened and looked at it and all 72 verses can wane, okay? We're not going through 72 verses this morning. I think, yeah, that would be a while. We're gonna cover the first eight verses today, okay? So every deep exhale. Okay, good. Psalm 78, one through eight is where we're gonna be. So let's read those verses and then we'll dig in, see what God has for us as we think about 
men, fatherhood, and what God's called us to. But don't tune out. If you're not a dad yet, don't tune out if you're a lady in the room or listening as well. Because it's an encouragement to all of us to know what to look to in this world, what we should be looking for in the men around us. And also, men, if you're not a dad yet, this is a little bit of a blueprint for what you should be working to and trusting God for going forward. Psalm 78 verse 1 says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders of what he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. I pray the Lord will help us today as we get into his word for the, the challenge that he has for us, both positively and also the warnings that he has for us today. The title of today's sermon is Protecting the Future. Protecting the future. In this psalm, it's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph warned the people of Judah not to imitate the fatherless ancestors or their idolatrous neighbors as they disobeyed God. He warned them not to do that. He admonished them to know the scriptures and to teach them to their children. This is the primary call of a man who wants to follow God. Know God's word, know God himself, and teach the next generations to do the same. This psalm is clear about its purpose. The purpose of this psalm is to recount in a song. We remember psalms are songs. They were to be sung corporately together with God's people. There's a lot of different time periods for which they were used. But they were a, they were a vocal reminder of who God is and what he's done for us. The point of this psalm is to recount the, the events in song so that future generations of God's people might take those lessons to heart. There's a saying that we've all heard and known, right? Know history and learn from history, or you'll be destined to repeat it. This is what God's showing us here in Psalm 78. He's saying there were previous generations of God's people who did not follow the Lord well. Don't repeat that. Know God, know his word, and teach future generations to know him and know his word, and therefore you won't get caught in the same repetitive cycle that has overcome many in this world and oftentimes even many in God's people. The emphasis in this psalm is on the people as a whole and the members as they have an obligation to embrace the covenant of the Lord faithfully in each generation. 
See, fatherhood is about generational impact. Fatherhood is not about, and this is the kind of the odd thing sometimes it, with Father's Day, right? We do like to celebrate people, and not that we shouldn't. We should. We should celebrate people for the things that God's doing in their lives and the way that they impact us. But the uniqueness about fatherhood is this. Fatherhood is about the next generation, not about you. Fatherhood is about passing on a way to live, a way to follow God, a way to actually turn to him in all things. As we look to scripture, the stories are so prevalent, right? God's people, they turn to the Lord. The Lord gives them a direct decree. He tells them how they should go, how they should live, what direction they should be moving in. And they do that for Varying amounts of time, sometimes not long. And then they disobey God and they forget how good he is and his character to them. And they turn away from him. And God has to come back as a loving father and discipline and correct them and draw them back in. And hopefully, and more times than not, God's people repent and turn back to him. And then the cycle starts over again. And we see this throughout all of history. God's patience his grace, but his holiness and his upholding of truth. They are both simultaneously in action throughout all of history. The God that we worship, the God that we know from the Bible, the God that we know from all, all of history is a holy and just God. He is ever consistent, never changing. And he has a standard that he holds his people to. At the same time, that ever consistent God who has a holy and just standard is loving and gracious and merciful. You can't compromise one or the other of those sides of God's character. And as we think about what it is that we should show the world around us, where we should show future generations, how it is that we pass on the truth of God and his character, those two things should ring out in our minds. Consistency, faithfulness, and truth. Grace, love, and mercy. Both simultaneously being enacted both in our lives from a God who loves us and in the lives of those around us as we pass on truth to future generations. I think too often in our day and age, fatherhood is shaped by what we want it to be. Sometimes we see this idea of fatherhood as being what I would say overly masculine or macho. No emotions, well, emotions, but just once, anger, drive. Those are all emotions. But too often we categorize being a good, being a man in our world in some ways as even being harsh. And that's not godliness. God is not harsh with us. He is consistent. He is strong. And faithful, but he is also merciful and forgiving and kind. Often in our culture, we also may swing the pendulum the opposite direction. And somehow, 
a picture of God being loving and merciful and gracious towards us gets away from the fact that he is also the bringer of truth and consistent. And we just want particular characteristics of God instead of all of him. See, as we look towards God's word and we learn about who he is towards us, this term father is consistently used in our reference to him throughout scripture. Close to 70% of the references to God in his word are familial in nature. And as we refer to him as father, there's something he wants us to carry from that. There's something he wants us to know from that. There's something he wants us to rest in, in that. It's the fact that we can know and understand his character. As a phrase that was used for me to describe my grandfather one time. A velvet-covered brick. The idea of being immovable, but also comfortable to be around. And soft and tender when you got up close. But that tenderness and softness doesn't change the fact that we can know God's truth and we can stand on it consistently. Grace and truth are both to be part of our lives, men, as we reflect the Father's character to the, lives, to the world around us, and particularly to future generations. I just want to give us two main points, two sections, verses 1 through 4 and 5 through 8, that push towards us men today what it looks like to protect the future generations. How is it that God has called us to do this and what are some tangible things we can lay our hands on to be able to try to do this going forward? First, verses one through four talks to us about this fact. We protect the future by recounting God's past. We protect the future by recounting God's past. Not our past, God's past. That's one way to protect the future. We protect the future by recounting God's past. Here's some truth about that. You can't recount what you don't know. If you don't know God's past, you can't pass it on. So gentlemen, it's up to us to know God's past his past deliverance, his past consistency, his past holiness, his past mercy and just, justness in this world. It's up to us to know God's past so that we can talk about it, recount it, pass it on. You can't recount what you don't know. You also, you won't recount what you don't believe. So it's not enough to just know the past of God and his word and his character. You actually have to believe it. Because you can't recount what you don't know, but you won't recount what you don't believe. Sometimes the truth of knowing God's knowledge in our head gets missed in its movement from here to our hearts. And gentlemen, what we know has to become what we believe. And when we believe it, our lives change drastically. I've been around men of God most of my life, thank the Lord. Graciously, he's given me that 
as I've grown up and as I've walked through life, I've had men to look to, both my father, my grandfather, their friends, people around them, people in this church. Got to sit and talk for, or stand and talk for a few minutes this past week with one of those pillars of our church, Frank Knickerbocker. And as you get around men of God who have followed him for long periods of time, what happens is it just kind of rubs off on you. This is, this is what God's talking about in Psalm 78. Pass it on. Let it be so much a part of you that it just kind of comes out of you whenever you're around other people. And as people are around you, they just are picking it up. They are picking it up from your words, but they're also picking it up from your life and the way that you handle both your own life and those around you. How do we protect the future that God's calling us to here? We protect the future by recounting God's past. And you can't recount what you don't know, and you won't recount what you don't believe. So work on knowing God and believing him. And then it will come out of you to future generations. What does this look like? Let's look at a few things from these verses. Verse 1 and 2 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. What's the push here in verse 1 and 2? A man of God listens. A man of God listens. And listens more than he talks. A man of God listens. The focus is this. Give ear to my teaching, God says. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. How well are we listening? This world is a difficult world to actually listen well in. And here's why. There is constantly noise. There is constantly static in our world. There's constantly voices coming at us in so many different directions. And we can have access to them no matter where we are or what we're doing. So, men, in order to be the man that God wants you to be, you have to actually be committed to blocking out times and creating margin just to listen to God. Just to listen. Not to do something active, not to, to be about uh, something he's called you to do in serving or in work. Those are good things to do, but you must cre create time to just listen. Without distractions going on that would pull you away. Give ear, incline your ears, is said in verse one. How well do we listen? It's a mark of a godly man to be able to listen well to the Lord. Verse 2 says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. What's the push here? Not only does a godly man listen, a godly man speaks truth. A godly man speaks truth, listens well, and speaks truth well. Now, I know we can get in lots of conversations and talk about lots of things, right? I have often asked the Lord, why is it so easy for me to remember sports statistics? 
I don't know. Okay, just happens. Weirdly, useless information, right? What happened in the 1987 World Championship NBA Finals? I could probably tell you. I could tell you. I'm not going to belabor you with it. But we have to be able to not just be able to recount information that doesn't change our world. It's not wrong to know things in our world. It's not wrong to have passions. God gives us those things. But what we have to be able to do is say, do those earthly things that God's given us as gifts, do they overwhelm what we're talking about all the time? Or do we actually verbally talk about God's goodness? Do words come out of our mouth about how good he's been, the past that we've listened to, the past we've been reminded of, the past we've been called to recount? Do we talk about it? So a man of God listens, a man of God speaks truth. Verse three and four. These things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. What's the third thing that is important for us protecting the future by recounting God's past? We must listen, we must speak truth, and we must give God the glory. All those wonderful things that have happened in your life, don't take credit for them. Because when you lay down at night and put your head on your pillow, you know that you can't control a single thing in this world. There are too many factors that you have no idea about. So when we look at the grace of God in our lives, don't be a glory stealer. Give it to him. Verse four, we won't hide these things from our children. We will tell them to the coming generations. What are we gonna tell them? The glorious deeds of the Lord. The glorious deeds of his might. The wonders that he has done. That's what it looks like to protect the future by recounting God's past that we're shown here in Psalm 78. A man of God listens, a man of God speaks truth, and a man of God gives God the glory. Let's be men that reflect that to the world around us. Verse five, he established a testimony in Jacob and pointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. We not only protect the future by recounting God's past, we protect the future by training the next generation. We protect the future by training the next generation. It is our job as men who follow God to take what he has shown us and what we've learned and what we believe and actually implant that in the next generation. Now, it doesn't always mean the next generation will receive it. You're not responsible for how, God, how people receive the things God's told you to give. You are responsible for consistently giving it. So how do we protect the future generation by training, training them up in the things of the Lord? Let's look at a few principles from here. Verse five, we train them by teaching. Verse five says, he established a testimony of Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children. Gentlemen, it is not simply your wife's 
or your, your, the, their grandmother's or their teachers at school's job to raise your kids and teach them things. It's yours. It's, it's our job to teach. You might say, I'm not a good teacher. That's okay. Learn. Practice. Work at it. It doesn't say you have to be a world-class teacher. It doesn't, have to even, it doesn't even say that it has to come naturally to you. It does say that you have to do it. So teach. People teach in lots of different ways. You don't have to have an outline to every day and instruct with a blackboard or a whiteboard or a smartboard. You don't have to do that. But you do have to teach. So how does that look in the lives of a man who's trying to follow God and reflect into the world around us, particularly the next generation? It means you have an active part in what your kids are learning and what the generation behind you is learning. This isn't a challenge just for our biological children. They do fall into this category, but it is also for the family of God. Early on, you know, before we moved back here to Syracuse, we were in church planting in Philadelphia. And church planting is a little bit different world than the one that we exist in here. But there are some things that carry over. One of them is this. When we were very young as a church planter, I remember talking to somebody, an older pastor, and I had a couple younger guys that came to me and said, hey, I think I have the gift of teaching and preaching. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Can I have some opportunities? And thankfully, the Holy Spirit would give me an opportunity to pause and say, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. And I would go and talk to older pastors. And the best advice I ever got was this. Somebody who thinks they have the gift of teaching or preaching, let them teach kids first. If you can communicate the gospel to a five-year-old effectively, you can tell anybody. But too often... We're not concerned with teaching the next generation. We're concerned with teaching things for some sort of recognition. And there's not a lot of glory in teaching young children most of the time. Now there should be. And scripturally we see it here. So maybe that's something for us to evaluate. How often do we celebrate those who are teaching our children? I mean, we have a wonderful kids ministry that goes on just down the other hallway over here every week more kids than you would want to even know okay and we have a wonderful kids ministry director Janice Cooper does a remarkable job training teaching setting things out for people to do honestly gentlemen if you're looking for a place to serve and you're not sure where try it out she most likely has a spot for you. <laughs> I'll guarantee she has a spot for you, actually. Uh, but there are things you can do. We have kids camp coming up. It used to be called our VBS program. There's going to be over 150 kids here. You want to know what it looks like to be a Psalm 78 man? Pass on the truth of God to the next generation. We'll find you a spot to do it. So it is in our home. It's also in our church home that we're called to do these things. So we protect the future by training the next generation. We train them by teaching. First, how else do we train them? Go on with me in verse six. That the next generation might know them. Know what? 
know the commands of God to our fathers. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. God's saying, the kids that aren't even born yet, get ready to teach them too. Be prepared to pass it on. That they may arise and tell them to their children. So generational impact comes from godly manhood. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. First, we train them by teaching. Secondly, we train future generations by setting their hope in God. Not in you, not in the world, not in their checkbook, not in their job, not in their house or their recognition in the world around them, not in what other people say about them. Our hope doesn't lie in any of those things. Our hope lies in God. So how do we train future generations? We train them to put their hope in God. How often do we do that? Well, because we can talk about lots of other things. We can talk about money and success. We can talk about growing in our work and becoming more involved, more educated, more practiced in our professions. We can talk about lots of things. We talk about being better at a golf game. We can talk about lots of things. But the problem is the more you talk about them, the more your hope goes towards those things. The more you talk about God and his character, the more your hope goes there. So we have to encourage future generations to place their hope in God. Verse 7, we do all these things so that they should set their hope in God. That's the goal. Verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. As we're training future generations, this is one of the important things. Sometimes you have to point out that past generations have not done it well. And the people of God here, particularly Israel, looking back, and I believe this is a reference to the generation of the Exodus. And as that generation came out, they saw amazing, miraculous works from the Lord, and they kept forgetting about them. And part of it was the discipline from that meant they had to wander in the wilderness until that whole generation was dead, except for two. Don't be that. Don't forget God's work. We train future generations by teaching. We train them by setting their hope in God. We train them by reminding them of God's work. Consistently reminding of God's work. And then lastly, in verse 8, we train them by modeling a godly life. Not like some who have gone before. But get to know and find those who have lived a godly life. And model that, both in your life and pass it on. Asaph here, as he's listening to the Lord and writing this psalm, he didn't want the fathers to repeat what happened in the Exodus generation. And he didn't want them to end up dying in a wilderness. He wanted them to know the Lord and all his graciousness and to uphold his commandments. So, as we talk about Father's Day, what does it look like to be a man of God? What does it look like to reflect 
the character of our Heavenly Father to future generations. That's the call. We protect the future by recounting God's past, and we protect the future by training the next generation. This is what we should be challenged with. This fleshes out in so many different ways in our lives, men. Fleshes out by us being influential in our church family. It fleshes out by noticing, even on a Sunday, you'd look around and say, hey, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so for a couple of weeks. I need to touch base with them, see how they're doing, and encourage them towards the things of God. So that future generations look and say, wow, there is a large group of men that love God and follow him. The statistics are horrible in the U.S., Almost 67%, 66.5% of Sunday church attenders that are active in their church communities are women. And that's not a bad thing that all those women are there. But, gentlemen, we need to be the overwhelmingly influencers in that situation. Follow the Lord. I think, I am confident of this. As the church continues to seek God's will for them in this world. And as we stay on mission and look at his character consistently, that is what men are actually looking for. And we can be influential in our world and we can fill our churches across this country with men who want to follow God and leave their homes and pass on God's truth to another generation. I think God will do it. I think he'll do it here. And I think he'll do it in all of our churches around this country if we turn to him and we seek to be a reflection of this kind of character to what God wants us to do for generations that come behind us. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we go forward. Let's celebrate all his goodness towards us as our Heavenly Father. Let's allow that to be the overwhelming influence in our lives and the overwhelming words that come out of our mouths is recounting God's past and training future generations to do it with us.